Hello and welcome to Series 5 of the Why I Knit podcast. My name is Dr Mia Hobbs and I'm a clinical psychologist who is passionate about knitting and its benefits for our mental health. Each week on the podcast I talk to a different knitter about why they knit and how knitting benefits their mental health. For the first episode of Series 5 I'm delighted to be joined by Shona Mason who is a maker and crafter, who is also a dentist. Uh, Shona teaches at her local dental school, and I was actually contacted by one of her students who thought she would be a really interesting and inspiring person for me to interview. I really hope you enjoy our conversation, and if you'd like to see more of Shona's makes, you can find links to her Instagram account in the show notes. Shona, welcome to the podcast. Oh, nice Hi. to be here. <laughs> I always start with asking where your story with knitting began. So, where did you start? Um, as a child, um, I, I remember being in knitting and sewing classes in primary five. So, when I was kind of nine, ten ish. Yeah. My mum thinks she taught me to knit before that, but she probably must have gone because I remember the first thing I made in the class was a wee teddy bear. And I think it was. Well, it wasn't brilliant. I think it was struggling less than some of the other people. Yeah, I mean, like doing the shaping of a teddy bear is quite tricky, really. Oh, it was really, I still remember the pattern. It was just cast on 10, knit a leg for 20 rows, cast on 10, knit another leg for 20 rows, and then do the body. And it was, there was really, it was rectangles. Yeah. It was very much, the shaping came with the stuffing. Okay, but you completed it. Yeah, I remember completing it, putting green eyes, green buttons on for the eyes and giving it to um, my little sister. Oh. I remember doing that and then I moved on to other things. Did you carry on knitting straight away? Yes, uh-huh, I did. I just, I, like I said, I think I did because I remember I've still got a little sewing box that I got when I was five or six. So I, I always liked making. I was always making something or doing something. And the knitting carried on initially like that because my little sister was so much younger than me I knitted lots of things for her and then you know teenager in the 80s we were all knitting stuff for ourselves our bat wing jumpers and things like that um so I kept knitting went to uni was still knitting knitted my now husband of nearly 33 years and knitted him a jumper within six months and that so we didn't have the boyfriend the boyfriend jumper cast um kept going and knitted for my kids when they were little. I probably had a bit of a lull once they were, you know, I had three of them and everything was a bit of a, a handful. That was probably when I had my sort of biggest break yeah. from knitting, but that didn't last very long. Okay, so you kept going, you kind of pretty much kept going and went back to it. Sorry, when, when I got back to it, it was the time of everything, that you know, lots of information online. So it was like it just took off into a whole new level. Yeah, I wonder what difference that made, because I think for a lot of us who learned to knit before that existed, which mm-hmm. would include me, that, um, yeah, that was a bit of a revelation, I think. It, it was, you were thinking, oh, you used to just go down to the what we used to call the wool shop, and now it's like, no, it's a yarn shop, um, um, and just find whatever Sardar or something pattern, and when you find all these independent designers and Oh, it was just incredible. Yeah. Then you go through a little phase of like, I can't do all the things. Did you always know people who knitted? It sounds like when you were younger, you weren't Um, the only one knitting. I don't really know. I don't. Yes, I remember some friends at school who did some knitting, but it wasn't, you didn't, it was just a thing you did. It wasn't, 
I don't remember there being any sort of like knitting clubs and people getting together and you just did it. Yeah. And I don't remember. I don't remember. I, don't, I wasn't really bothered whether other people were interested in whether it made them knitted or not. But it didn't um, seem like an unusual thing for you to do because I guess some of no, us, uh-huh. yeah, I think I felt like it was an unusual thing when I was like mm-hmm. at university, for example, there wouldn't have been yeah. anyone else who was mm-hmm. knitting and they probably thought it was quite weird. Yeah. I think there was. I don't think there was many knitting, but I remember. I think one of the things with because I was in uni, I was a dental student, so it's a lot of people in dentistry who go in because they're good with their hands and they do stuff. Mm. So there was certainly there was other people who did dressmaking, which I was doing as well. And so you didn't feel that odd. Do you think it helps with the kind of you know the fine motor <laughs> skills? Um, I, I I think it's an indicator of whether you have fine motor skills. Yeah. Um, and I certainly know when um, I try and encourage students to to pick up something like the knitting, that's partly to do with I'm a big encourager on getting students to be focused on other things than dentistry. Because you see too many burn themselves out because they think it's just all they can do is study, study, study. And I'm like, no, you have to do something else. Because knitting's what I know, that's what I encourage them yeah. to do. Um so it sounds like you've for a long time had a relationship with knitting. It's more than just uh, doing it to produce a, a batwing jumper that you want, but it's also for the, <laughs> um, the process or because it gives you something else like for your well-being. It's it's a whole mixture. And I think over the years it's changed because yeah. I certainly I make I make a lot more now than I ever used to do, mm-hmm. which is partly down to cost. You know, when again in the 80s as a you know, teenager didn't have much money. I could only buy yarn for a particular project. So that was about the product. Yeah. Um, whereas now it's a mixture. It's the process that'll make me feel good and calm and sort of just ground you. But then mm-hmm. I also love the product. I generally don't knit something that I'm not going to enjoy wearing or giving to somebody. Yeah. Um, so it's so it's both. I can get through I can get through the stage where you're getting a bit fed up with the project and you just need it finished. So I just finish it because I want to wear it or, or give it away. But so it yeah, it's both. It's the process that makes me feel calm. But it's also the exciting bit because I like the planning and I like the problem solving sometimes. If I'm going off piste or I'm trying to design my own thing or I'm like I've not quite got enough yarn for a thing. I'm doing it just now I've got a jumper and I thought I bought enough yarn because when I was buying the yarn to make a jumper that I've made before and I'd looked on my Ravelry and I put down how many skeins I'd needed and I put the wrong number in because oh. I'm looking I'm doing it and I'm like there is no way I've got enough so now I'm like okay so how am I going to work this how am I going to how am I going to deal with that and I think I have a plan so what I enjoy I enjoy the <laughs> I am, I've got another color color in a very similar wool. it's a Norwegian wool from Hulesvog and I've got another colour that's in the same palette, but much brighter. And it's a colour work jumper. So actually, and it's a hundred sti- hundred row repeat in the colour way, the oh, colour wow. work. So yeah. it's a big, long thing. But that means there's a, there's a section where actually I could blend from one blue into the next. Okay. So the, the non-colour work section can be the brighter. Blue. So I think, I think I have it. And it means it's using the same wheel. So I, I won't have a problem with mm. you know, the weights and it changing the overall. Changing something, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. So I like that. I like problem solving. Yeah, sometimes. So it sounds like the process is quite calming, but there, there's mm-hmm. also like a spark I could see in your face yeah. of the joy of the planning the thing. And yeah. 
And what yeah. do you think that gives for your, I don't know, mental well-being? It just, it just, it, it reflects that I'm feeling um, alive and creative. I'd like to be, I like that. I'm, I create. I love to create. I like to make. And I know it's. I've realised it's an indicator of if I'm not doing well, if I can't do it. Like in the, the first lockdown, my job, my particular job, just disappeared overnight when we got deployed, and I was a porter and. First few weeks of that, I struggled. Then I found I found my way into it. But the whole lockdown, and I'd been through quite a not been in a brilliant place mentally for various different reasons. Um, and lockdown really threw me, and I found I couldn't I couldn't be making up patterns. I couldn't face doing the maths. I couldn't face just playing about. So I just knitted socks. Mm-hmm. It was all about having something small and following somebody else's instructions. So you could still do yeah. the soothing bit, but you didn't have the kind of bandwidth for the creative bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And now that I know, and now that I see that's back, I'm like, yay, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm good again. <laughs> do you think if you'd have, do you think you couldn't have accessed that creative bit? You had to kind of work on the other bits outside of. I suppose I wonder whether there were, whether knitting could have helped you move back into the space by doing some more creative things or whether you felt like you Mm -hmm. needed to get that sorted for yourself first before the creativity just arrived yeah um I think it was more in in the worst bits it was more about I just needed to have a process I just needed to come I couldn't it made me yeah I just I just didn't have the bandwidth yeah um kind of got pulled out of that towards the end when I ended up I made um, a daughter's wedding dress not knitted. She, they, none of my girls will let me knit their wedding dresses. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> not going there. I'm glad they let me sew one. Um, wow! And I could, I could feel I was more anxious with that than I would have been previously. So I was getting there on the creativity, and I could feel I was getting like I would do a pattern and I would modify, and I was back into doing jumpers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't. I was. I don't think I was able to push I mean that's the thing though with with sometimes well-being you know the things that you you will make you feel better but you don't always have the capacity to do them sure um but I think what's kind of magical about knitting is mm -hmm. actually that even though like you could still get something you needed for your well-being through knitting Mm -hmm. yeah it wasn't Mm -hmm. the stuff you get when you're maybe feeling good generally Mm -hmm. because you know who was feeling good and lockdown and all of those things but I guess I suppose there are lots of hobbies you could you would stop accessing altogether, but it sounds like you could find a way of knitting being what yeah. you needed to do plain socks. <laughs> yes. Um, and that you could also have a kind of slow and steady way of getting back to the creative stuff, like by adapting yeah. a pattern first or by mm-hmm. maybe picking colours for a pattern. And then yeah. you got back to your full view, which is, you know, mm-hmm. maybe designing things, you know, which yeah. is territory I've never strayed into. <laughs> But, um, yeah, there was kind of a clear progression back to that place, I suppose, it sounds yeah. like, rather mm-hmm. than having to do a big leap. Yes, it was it was a progression. Mm. And knitting was also great. Um, before before COVID, um, I had a wee knitting group in the, the dental school um, where okay. I work. I'd, I'd started, I'd done some classes. Um, another friend had organised Saturday morning classes of various craft things and I found quite a lot of the dental students heard I was doing the knitting one and came along and either learnt or or, re- or re-remembered yeah. um, how to knit and they flew with it and then I would be getting messages from them saying I've got stuck up on this so I thought right you know what I'm going to 
sit in the student coffee bar every Wednesday lunchtime and people can bring their, their knitting along. And it just, it turned into a thing. And then in lockdown, we met on Zoom every Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was only a few of us that, that kept that going for, I don't know, I think we did it for two, maybe, I don't know, a year, two years we did it until we were sort of back doing our normal stuff in the dental school and actually allowed to meet socially. And that was part of the the the, the joy, that was part of the highlights. Um, so it wasn't so we were sitting doing our knitting um and sharing different projects, but it was all quite it was just calm and it was nice and it was nice to have that connection and have that appointment with people. And I'd love to hear a bit more about why you think it's helpful for your students to <laughs> to knit or do something else outside of dentistry. Uh, there's there's lots of reasons in terms of doing something outside of the dent outside of dentistry. I mean, I've been teaching in the the local dental school for over twenty years, and my husband's been teaching for coming on thirty years. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've seen over the years is the students who put too much pressure on themselves um, and think it's all about study. And we've both been, you know, my husband and I, he won't mind me saying, but we've both been through, you know, feeling not great. He's definitely been off work a couple of times of feeling completely burnt out. And we're both very open and honest about that with the students and mm-hmm. like to point out that you know, life is not just about this. A lot of them feel under pressure either from themselves or from family or from, you know, if they're being sponsored by their government. There's there's lots of reasons why a student will feel under pressure to just study, study, study and do well. But we've watched them burn themselves out mm. and they can't do it. And they forget that they, ha- they need to have space for other things. And yeah, knitting's what I'm going to go on about because that's what I know but whether it's sport whether it's getting out for a walk whether it's exploring mm-hmm. lots of things they, they laughed at me it was a few years ago I was asked to help out a careers talk um, and I sat there and listened to all these people talking about you know going through doing dentistry then medicine and blah 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 and, and going through different training posts and I could feel the tension in the room rising as all mm. these undergraduates were like oh no I've got to keep doing this and then I stood up at the ending well there is all that if you want to do it or you can just have different jobs and work part-time and do this, like, all the other things to said and, and they turned it into a hashtag not defined by dentistry um, okay and it's not you know there's it's it's dealing with the fact that there's a spectrum of people some people are super focused and, and they want to get to the highest levels and others want a job they can enjoy that doesn't wear them out and that gives them connection with people, lets them help people, because that's why everybody's gone into dentistry. Mm. And I guess there might be phases, might mm-hmm. there, in your career, yeah. I suppose, in terms of like, I don't know, if you, for example, have a family, you might have to take yeah. your foot mm-hmm. off the gas career-wise for a bit. Yeah, or, uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, yeah depending on what else is going on. Um, I'm just saying helping them find the other thing that gives them a spark and the other thing that they can take refuge in. And for, for me and for many of them, it's creativity. There's there's a little group um, of undergraduate dental students who have set their got a little a group called it's Artists in Clinical Training. So basically they're encouraged, they come up with projects, themes of projects, and then they produce some sort of artwork on that particular theme and the aim is that it's not about dentistry mm-hmm. but it's some you know they pick themes that like you know restoration or something that you could 
take as a dental thing, but a lot of them go out with that. And that's, that's another member of staff who's seen the need to hold on to that creativity because actually dentistry isn't as creative as we think it was. The technicians get to do a lot of the creative stuff. Um, what we do is quite mechanical in some ways. Apart from my job, I'm now managed, I've managed to get into my um, favourite department. My favorite, I, I like making dentures. I'm teaching students how to make dentures, which means a lot of the time I am, I'm playing about with wax and, and putties and, and impressions. It's just you get to be creative yeah. and, and encourage the students to be creative. And so I get that, but a lot of them don't. Mm. And then they feel sad and they don't quite know what's missing. So so you've kind of helped them to find that outside find of, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And what do you think it was that made knitting that thing for you? Did you try other things? Oh, yeah, I do. I mean, I dress make, I weave, um, mm-hmm. I do crochet. Um, I like to do bits and pieces in the house, you know, fiddling about with bits of furniture. But knitting is the one that is, is easy and portable. I mean, crochet is as well, but, you know, it took me a long time to get my head around crochet. I think if you start on one of the skills mm. and get comfortable in one of them, then the other one is more difficult to, to handle. So I can I can do crochet. But I like the ease of knitting, of the, the the sitting down and relaxing. And you can either be in silence, you can be outside, you can be inside, you could be listening to music or a podcast, watching TV, all of it. You can sh- I've always got a project that's small enough to go in my handbag so that if I'm in a cafe, I can get my knitting out. Yeah. Lunchtime, I can get a couple of rows in. It's the portability, I think, of, of knitting and, and the slowness. And I like you know, dressmaking, you've got to plan, plan, plan. No matter how mm. simple it is, because once you've cut the fabric, you're done. If yeah. you've cut it wrong. Whereas knitting, yeah. even if you're you're making the fabric as you go, and even if you realise something's not quite right, you can undo a bit without, you know, there's no real destruction in it. You just undo a bit and, and yeah. sort it if it's not fitting. And I wondered about uh, dentistry. You're the first dentist I've uh, interviewed because I've spoken to a lot of health professionals and uh-huh. and I think there is something about mistakes and perfection yeah. like you know those are careers where mm-hmm. actually mistakes can have very big consequences and yeah. you know that might attract people who were perfectionists anyway or it might make us more mm-hmm. worried about mistakes so I think one yeah. of the things that's great about knitting and I certainly relate to the dressmaking fear of cutting <laughs> fabric and not being able to glue it back together again um is that it's a safe place to make mistakes in knitting because yeah. unless you get the scissors out you've still got what you started with I don't mm-hmm. know whether that's a thing with dentistry as well in terms of mistakes yeah um I find it I, I, I know it for me that it's part of the it's part of the relaxation is like you say that generally at work mistakes have a bit of a consequence. Um but in your knitting much less so. Unless it's a an error that's actually going to affect the fit and how it sits and looks, I'm usually okay about just leaving it or fudging it or just doing yeah. a, a thing. But watching students learn how to knit. Because we have our our library, the university library in Dundee has a create space. Mm-hmm. They realised a few years ago that actually there was a need to have a creative zone where students could get away from the books and the study. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a little knit club in there um, on a Thursday night. But it is it is mostly dental students who come, partly just because they know it's on. Um, and I tell them there's there's we've got we've got a mixture of students, postgrads and undergrads and 
just a whole mixture of people. It's lovely. Sometimes you sit there and look around the table and just think, oh, this is just this is just lovely. There's just yeah. so many different people here. It's, it's cracking. But watching the dental students in particular, most of them get really frustrated if they can't do it. We can't get the hang of it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and once they do start to get the hang of it, they just want to rip out the the the, the bit that doesn't look so good. Mm-hmm. And I keep trying to encourage them. I say, look, just just keep it. Just it's there to let you see the progress. Yeah. Um. And these mistakes don't, you know, these mistakes don't matter. Um, and it's quite, I think sometimes it's quite hard for them because they're sitting there, they come into class and they go, oh, oh Dr. Mason. I'm like, no, 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 it's shown in here. We're, yeah. we're not on clinic here. This is different. But watching them and seeing some of them, and it's sort of predictable, the ones who I know on clinic who would def- would get quite stressed will be a bit stressed about the knitting and stressed mm-hmm. about a mistake and frustrated. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important for them to keep it. Yeah. Do you see them be able to move past that? Many Once you keep coming back, yes. Yeah. <laughs> some of them some of them is just like, no, I can't get the hang of it quickly and, and they they go away. And it's a shame because you know, in dentistry they, they watch the they, they don't get to see how their skills progress. They just mm. one day know that they 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 finish. Occasionally they get to have younger students watching them and then they realise what they, they do know. But knitting is a much quicker thing to learn to to knit than to to learn how to do dental care on on a patient. Mm-hmm. And watching the ones who who fly with it is it's 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 a beautiful thing to to watch. And some of them have really gone with it. You know, they've either learnt or most of them. A lot of them. It's like, oh, my granny showed me when I was eight or ten. They mm-hmm. don't think they can do it, but the muscle, the muscle memory is there. Yeah. And some of them have flown, and they're, they're they're designing their own stuff, and they're off making the most incredible jumpers. And it's just like it makes my heart sing. Just thinking, yeah. oh, they they've got this other thing that they can do that will take away take them away from the bad days at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really important thing to be able to send them off into the world with, isn't it? <laughs> yes, this uh, antidote to. Yeah. I talk about it sometimes as having like a spa in my handbag. <laughs> it's just a yes. quick way of feeling, <laughs> yeah. feeling relaxed. And I wondered uh-huh. about, so when I've done um, knitting groups, like I've done at work, um, like in a NHS team, and I've also had various mm-hmm. groups in schools with younger people. And I find it's given a different like connection between people. So with colleagues mm-hmm. who I didn't really yeah. maybe know so much about their personal lives because we were very, had very kind of work based conversations. And then people yeah. share stories about, I don't know, their families, who's people in their families who knitted or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we just had a connection on a different level, which I think was really beneficial to the kind of morale in the team, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're actually going to do, I recently trained to be one of NHS Tayside's workplace wellbeing champions. Okay. Um, along with one of um, our lab technicians. And there's, there's already some people in the building doing that. But we decided we wanted uh, our next sort of training day, we have these clinical governance days once a yeah. month. Um, we're going to do a sampler session. So we're going to do a little introduction to wellbeing mm-hmm. um, and what that means and that, you know, the, the different aspects of wellbeing. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to have sample sessions and one of them is going to be the knitting. I'm going to have with me and one, one of our final years is one of the ones who's just designing his own amazing jumpers and shawls and all sorts of things going on. Um, 
So me and the student Callum, we are going to head that up. And just by going around talking to people, just finding other knitters. And that's 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 my hope that by people going to these sampler sessions of what people do for their well-being, they'll find the people that they can when they bump into in the corridor. There's an outside of work thing mm. that they know they now have in common. There's an outside of work thing where they can say, "Oh, what are you working on? Or what have you been doing? You know, where have you gone for a run? Or you know, whatever it is. That's not my yeah. thing." Um, but yeah, just to find the the other people who are in the, the same kind of zone, because like you said, we don't all do that. Where you're so busy doing work and trying to be efficient and trying to get all the things done that you need to get done. And it's nice to see a different side of people, and probably nice to, for mm-hmm. your students to see you, you know, make a mistake yeah. in your mm-hmm. knitting and how you navigate yes, uh-huh. that. Because you can learn from that just as much, can't you? Yes. To see, yeah. well, actually, she's you not can. superhuman, even though she's. <laughs> yeah teaching us and she makes mistakes and look this is how you can manage a mistake actually Mm -hmm. yeah it is there's 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 a lot of lessons in knitting yeah yeah, I wondered about your relationship to mistakes in knitting Mm -hmm. like and how whether that's evolved over time and whether you so it sounds like you you do try and live with it now Mm-hmm. carry on it's it's definitely it's definitely evolved you know in the early days of knitting it was where you just you followed the pattern that was it and if you went off piece then you had to take it back mm-hmm. and sort it whereas as you well as I progress and again what you've seen online and what you're learning you realize that there's you can change things anyway you don't actually have to do what's written in the pattern there's a lot mm-hmm. of things that you can change as you go so yeah I think most of the time if it's a mistake that will like I said, I think I said earlier, if it's if it's about it will mean it doesn't fit or it doesn't, you know, it's gonna look wonky, then sort it. I remember the first time I knitted a lace jumper. I, I was about 15. I've still got the pattern. It's like less than half a page of a like women's weekly or something. That was pattern in those wow. days. Um, and I didn't know how to increase in pattern. And I ended up with this sleeve that was straight up, it was to sew together. So it was straight up on one side and all the angle was on the other. <laughs> and it took a lot of working out. So I definitely had to rip that one out. Yeah. Whereas the like the other day I'm knitting on this colour work jumper and I realised I'd done a whole row where I'd missed one particular highlight colour. But then and I was about to I was thinking like, do I undo the row? I said, like, I can't be bothered undoing the row. And then I thought, well, well, I just go in and fix the stitch, you know, pick up the float from behind and do it. And then I thought, well, that's going to make it tight. And then I thought, well, I've made the same mistake around the whole row. So why don't I just put in that colour? Now, it's such a long elongated pattern. It's not like there's going to be an obvious jump in the pattern. So I just left it and just Mm -hmm. put the the colour in in the the next round. And nobody is going to know. Nobody. No. I've got a mohair cardigan with a cable down the front of each side. Uh-huh. Um, so like down the kind of where you would have a button band normally and I've realized that in one place I've put down the cable goes the wrong way <laughs> oh <laughs> like you said and I I suppose my mum taught me the way of kind of saying like you're the creative director you need to think about whether it will annoy you and every yes. time you put it uh-huh. on you'll feel slightly resentful that you didn't go back and... yeah uh-huh. I'd already split take like put the sleeves split for the sleeves kind of well like by the time mm-hmm. I realized I would have to have gone back and put oh, all of those live no, stitches yeah, on like, no. no and it's mohair that's a pain to unravel it's not like you could just pull it no so yes it, it I think it's, it's it's whether it's going to bother you and yeah I'd, if, and if somebody did manage to pick up on the error it just means it'd be somebody we could have a conversation about knitting with because they would have a non-knitter isn't going to spot the error no and also you know it's your jumper 
ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I do love? I love what because where where I work, we teach on an open clinic. The students have the, you know, there's just a bunch of dental chairs, and students have their own patients. And what I love doing is spotting when a patient comes in in a hand knit. <laughs> because ah. <laughs> you can spot a hand knit yeah. and most of my patients our patients are elderly so you know, there's a certain style of, 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 of yarn and knitting that's happening but you spot it and I love just going over and like oh, did you make your did you make your thing and, and, and it's when the elderly gentlemen come in and it's their wife that's knitted their jumper oh, and there's a yeah. story behind it yeah. yeah I like that week and, and students just kind of go um what's happening <laughs> <laughs> I went into, for the first time ever, I think, went into a cafe the other day and I was not the only person knitting in there. Hey. <laughs> yeah, that was a great feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talking about the kind of stories behind the knitted mm-hmm. garments, I'd love to hear about a significant project for you. So either yeah. something you've made or something maybe one of your students have made, could be anything. Oh, no, I hadn't thought about one of the ones that my students have made because I was trying to think about ones I've done. And I don't think there's a particular garment that, a particular knit that stands out. I know there was a moment in which I started really appreciating single breed wools and started really exploring British breed wools. And I made a cardigan with 31 breeds in it. Wow. It was for, it was for, there was a project in Dundee, an art project called Fun A Day running in January. And basically people were to do something creative every day in January mm-hmm. um, and document it if they wanted. And I decided I was going to knit a cardigan doing basically a stripe of it every day. Mm-hmm. So that to prove that you could make a cardigan in a month, but also that it takes a month. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. I used, a di- I used different breeds of wools in each band. So some stripes were like one row. Yeah. And, and I, one, one long Saturday, I did the whole colour work yoke bit. So that, I think, was a turnaround in how I approach knitting. That was me heading off into just making up my own stuff and exploring rules. Mm-hmm. So now my favourite projects are ones that have a story or a mm-hmm. connection to the wool, where it comes from, or the colourway, or whatever it is. But student, student ones, now that's, that's, a, that's a good one. Because one, um, one of our students, she's graduated now, Lizzie, she's one who came along and remind, remembered how to, to knit. Mm-hmm. And she made this amazing intarsia jumper of just like, it was like a countryside scene. And I was just looking at this going, oh my goodness, like, how how did you do that? And then she did a lockdown, lockdown blanket doing a square a day. And it's got this amazing, I don't know whether memory is the right word, but this just this amazing memento of her time being stuck mm. in her flat and not getting to do her studies and just doing knitting was what, got her through mm. and then another one Callum who's in final year now and he's he's a, he's designing so much stuff and um, he's doing this shawl where he, he he's drawn up the shawl with this sort of Celtic pattern I thought I assumed it was going to be cable but he's done it all in color work with intarsia wow. um, and yeah just watching their skills yeah and thinking I mean, I haven't really had anything to do with Callum came to uni knitting. My, I remember my husband coming home from work saying, there's a student who sits knitting between my lectures. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you have to find him. Um, but yeah, watch, watching them just develop the first finished object from a new knitter in the other Thursday in the, in the knit club after after work. He'd come and learnt, he's a postgrad from Spain doing maths and physics. 
came and wanted to learn to knit. It's taken him months, but he's knitted a hat and he wore it out in the mountains. And then he asked if he could do, if possible, to do knit something with the Mobius technique, being the maths. Oh, yeah. Person that is. <laughs> so we're so trying that one out. Yeah. Not sure that's a good second project, but. Well, yeah, but it's amazing, isn't it? And I think actually that's quite a common thing um, I hear quite often when I ask about how people started to knit. Often the people I'm speaking mm-hmm. to knitted something when they were early on in their knitting career, if you mm-hmm. want to call it that. Yeah. That was quite ambitious, but they didn't know mm-hmm. that because they didn't know enough to know that what they were picking was quite challenging. Whereas you or I yeah. were like experienced quite a lot long down the line. Probably mm-hmm. I'd look back at some of the things I tried to make early on and think, what was I thinking? Like that was too hard yeah. for me. And I might have more inhibitions now. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it's quite good. Sometimes you can achieve something amazing if you just don't know yeah. to be scared of it. <laughs> if you don't know. Yeah. Uh-huh. I did that when I started weaving. My first project was to weave this big double-sided cloth. And it, it was, oh, it was an absolute nightmare. But I learned a huge amount. <laughs> yeah. There's so many things I learned. Yeah, and I I don't know if it's like from the era when I started, where you felt I don't I cannot I cannot unpick whether that was just the way we did it when in seventies and eighties you just did what you were told and you did it or whether that was me just feeling like you had to do it the way you're told and that was it. But it's now I will encourage people to explore, but I yeah. I can't unpick whether that's of a generation or whether that's me changing mm. over time. I can't yeah I can't decide. And I guess you were in a career where there was a way to do things and you probably had yes, to do uh-huh. <laughs> do things that way. There's, there's not a lot of leeway in how you do so. I and I guess, you know, with and you probably also take it from the people who you learn from or who you're around. Because mm-hmm. I suppose now yeah. with social media, we've got many more people. Like when I look at a, I don't know, a Stephen West kind of tutorial for a, a pattern, I just think, wow, isn't it amazing that his brain doesn't go, well, this is what we can do. I'll do that. His brain goes, Uh oh, what haven't we done yet? And does that instead. Uh (laughs) Which is just a very different mindset. But I guess now with social media, I can learn how Stephen West approaches these things and think, oh, well, that's amazing, actually. (laughs) And different and exposes you to different um, ideas about what's possible. I wondered about whether you have a stash, Shona, <laughs> and what your relationship <laughs> is to your stash. <laughs> uh, yes, I do have a stash. Um, <laughs> my relationship with my stash. Um, because, yes, again, from when I grew up, you would having a stash wouldn't have been a thing. Your stash would only be leftovers once yeah. upon a time. And I actually still have my leftovers. I'm a hoarder as well, which doesn't help. I still have my leftovers from projects that I knitted when I was 10, 11. Wow. Um, in, in my teens, I still have a little bit of the red mohair I did my batwing jumper in. Um, and then I inherited stash from my mother-in-law. And then now it's, yeah, now we're at the stage where you buy stuff because it's just so nice or it's special or you envisage a pro usually I will only buy if I can envisage a project for it yeah but that still means I have way more projects or I have way more potential projects around me than I can possibly get round to in the next umpteen years (laughs) so it's organized I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at it just now it's organized it's in different crates um, and drawers um, on based on type of wool it might be so there's one crate that's predominantly Shetland wool because that would mm-hmm. have been that was 
kind of my go-to um woolly wool yeah um, and then I've got another crate of other breeds of wool I've got a drawer of rare breeds of wool I've got the random cottons and fancy things that have been handed down from my mother-in-law and that mm-hmm. she always she knitted beautiful things for my girls when they were little mm-hmm. I didn't knit for them much when they were wee because she knitted amazingly beautiful cardigans and jumpers for them mm-hmm. and, and I still have most of them I couldn't they, they got passed on to the nieces and then they'd come back because oh. um, they were they were to be treasured yeah. um, and she can't knit anymore and that's she gets very sad about that mm. um so my stash yes um and it grew a little bit because I was at the Scottish Yarn Producers Show, the Scottish Festival <laughs> of Yarn, had on on Saturday. So it grew yeah. a little bit more than it should have done. So you don't necessarily always have a specific pattern in mind for something. Not always a specific, but I will. I like to before I'll buy the yarn, I, I need to be able to imagine what it could be because otherwise, I know it's just going to sit around. Apart from the random sock yarns, I'm not much of one for buying the ones who are just about the dyeing rather than the wool, but then there'll be some that you're just like, that's too pretty. That's just, (laughs) or themes. Doctor Who, somebody's been doing um, a Doctor Theme, Doctor Who colourway. Okay. So I did have, I did indulge in that and she's going to do more next year. But then even that, I bought the mini skeins. She did some in 21, no, what are we in, 23? Some in 22, I bought the 23. She says she's going to do more in 24. So by the time I've got all of the mini skeins for that, I'll have enough for a jumper Okay. with like yeah. little black or white stripes in between. So again, I've bought them because yeah. I like Doctor Who and I like the colourways. And it so sounds still, like you really a story. the story. Yeah, in yeah. The, mm-hmm. yeah. And is that a more recent thing, do you think, in your kind of knitting, that the kind of yeah. link to the story? Yeah, and it's it's been since exploring about you know British breed wheels. It's what wheel work. You know, the week used to be knit British when she mm-hmm. started explaining oh, yeah. about different wheels, and then exploring that. Yeah, and that's when the, that's when the story comes in. I'm mm-hmm. going to be designing um, a tank top for my husband using Fair Isle patterns and Norwegian patterns, mm-hmm. um, but mixing Norwegian wool with Shetland wool, North Ronaldsey wool, and Hebridean wool. To just so it's going, it's a Viking. It's for me, to me, it's a Viking tank top. It's going to link Scandin, it's going to link the roots of the Vikings with wool from the sheep that the Vikings would have brought to the UK. And um, but nobody, it's just going to be a you know, an old fashioned fair isle tank top to anybody else looking at it. But yeah. me and him, we'll know, yeah. we'll know the story, yeah. we'll know where the wheels have come from, we yeah. can imagine that. Yeah, yeah, the pathway. But it sounds like that is part of the joy for you, having that kind of those links and being able to explore those ideas and tell Mm -hmm. those stories. um, Yeah. Uh That's part of the creative process. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh It's a big part of the joy. Yeah. And does it matter for you in terms of what you knit and the colours and over and above the kind of links to those stories? Are there any things that are more therapeutic or times when you feel like, oh, I want to knit with this fibre or this colour or... Does it matter what the pattern is? Um, I think for me in general, the yarn comes first, mm-hmm. I think. And is that the story side of things or does it matter what the, like how it feels? Because obviously there's quite a difference, isn't there, with like a shaggy uh, wool? Yeah, it, it's yeah. not so much for me about the, the feel because I like um, a wool that 
other people might find prickly. Mm-hmm. I I I like I like that it feels like it came off the back of a sheep. Um, but I think that's just that's just a channel some of us end up going down. Yeah. When when we discover it, I don't know. Sometimes it, I don't. We get so bombarded by patterns. Sometimes it is the pattern that I look and think, what's what. A test that I did recently for, for, for Jimmy Nitz, her cardigan, it's about colour work, but it's based on her car. So it's very, in some ways you could have interpreted it in a very technical way, but I went full on Hebridean wool from the island of Bernary with all the, the colours of the land and the sea and the sky with it. Just, and I really enjoyed using those, yeah, a very sort of natural feel yeah. and colour way on something that was actually based on a car yeah but it sounds mm. like you made it very sounds like there's a shonification of that <laughs> yes there's a shonification <laughs> in terms of your choices of the colors and also the yarn yes, uh-huh. origins yeah, yeah but that's uh-huh. your creative spin on it yeah uh-huh. that, that, that's what it is yeah yeah and in terms of the process do you ever have like, do you need, do you have one project you're working on at a time or more than one? And does it matter what you knit at any given point in your day? No, it depends. I generally have about three projects on the go. So I'll have, now this is me having settled back into being as creative as I want to be. So I'll have some sort of jumper type project on the go. Yeah. I will have a small project on the go. So whether that's socks or blanket squares, um, and then there might be another thing going on in the background, like a really long term one, or there might be the odd little project that pops in, like a hat for somebody's birthday or something. There'll be a little pod project that pops in in between. Mm-hmm. I, I can't, I do have five at the minute. I was talking about this at the weekend with the people I went to this yarn show with, because mm-hmm. um, I've got my jumper, I've got a pair of socks that have been on the back burner for quite a while, and I'm doing a blanket with knitted squares. So they're nice because, you know, it only takes a few hours to knit one square. So that can be that can be that or the socks or the handbag project. But I've also got a couple of crochet um, blanket type things going the go. One of mm-hmm. which needs to be done reasonably quickly, and the other one is definitely that's using up scraps of yarn. So that's quite a lot for me to have on the go. Having said that, I also have piles around my craft room of balls of wool sitting on top of a pattern. Okay. <laughs> waiting. <laughs> but I don't like I don't like to work like if I'm doing a jumper and especially if I'm doing an element of the designing, I don't like to skip between projects on that. I don't want to do another similar but different thing. It's fine going from the jumper I'm designing to a sock or to a blanket square, but I don't want to go like I'm not going to cast on my husband's tank top till I've finished the jumper I'm doing for sure. me. So it sounds like that's they fit within the same category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where there's yeah. a design element from you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they need to, I don't want to mix them up. Sure. Yeah. You get in, you get in the zone with the pattern, don't you? Yeah. Um, and Probably I like... more so if you're designing it, maybe. Mm-hmm. But even if I'm following it, yeah, you, it's, it's being in the zone and the feel of and how things are going and how this is being read. And I don't want to forget what, move on to something else and forget what that one. Yeah was like so sure Hmm. and it sounds like it's important to you that one of them is very portable and you can bring it out yes with you Uh, yes yes definitely sure um shona i'd love to hear about something unrelated to knitting that you do to benefit your mental well-being um there's there's a few different things i'm 
as long as it's making, I'm fine. So, you know, weaving, dressmaking, I've tried my hand at watercolour, just doing stuff. But I think the top of the list, the thing that my husband and I have both done in the last couple of years that has really helped both of us is we got ourselves a rooftop tent. Oh, wow. We, we, head, we, we head off camping in that. We used to camp in, before the kids and when the kids were little. But this rooftop tent just takes us away and we try and go out at least once a month away for the weekend, away from all the stuff yeah. and just go and, and sleep in it. We sleep so well in our tent on the roof of the car. Andrew likes being busy and organising and camping's perfect. He just keeps everything organised. He's up in the morning making fresh coffee and just... So that's mm-hmm. our thing and making sure we get away from for him especially the stresses of work you know, yeah dif- you know, different pressures that that arrive in your life as, as you you get older and your kids are growing up and your parents are getting older so it's it's being outside camping I mean we're not rough camping it we like a campsite with decent toilets and showers and we like going to our coffee shops and having cake but we're but we're just outside and away from mm-hmm. all the things like, I yeah. think that's our main one, and being with being with people that that I love. So any time with my daughters, mm-hmm. and and their and their loved ones. So it's yeah, it's all those things. Yeah, something important about the outsideness, and like I think it's important, isn't it, to get away from your. I don't know if you associate you can associate home with all of the jobs and the to do list and the work and lots of things, can't you? I guess that that change of scenery helps you. Get away from that. I'm not so bad because my, because the girls have left home. One of one of one of the daughter's bedrooms has become my craft room, and it's lovely. That for me is an oasis, and it looks out over the garden. And we've got a nice. It's I'm going to say a nice garden. It's kind of on the wild side, but I like it. Yeah. Um. I, it, there's lots of birds and insects and things going around in it, so yeah. I'm, I'm I'm generally okay with that. But when we get away as a couple and away from all the stuff, then yeah, that's definitely it's good it's good to be out for a big walk and yeah we love going we, we love going north we're, we're that's sort of the viking thing we love going north shetland we love yeah. going to shetland and, and we're heading off to norway four weeks for four weeks in the roof tent this summer we tried last summer but andrew slipped and broke his wrist so we had to come oh, home no. suddenly so we're trying again this summer oh um, lovely that sounds like an amazing adventure mm-hmm. yeah. yeah great so I always end with asking, what's the greatest gift knitting has given you for the rest of your life? What's your thoughts on that, Shona? So the gift for the rest of my life is, I mean, while I can knit, I will always enjoy knitting. But the long-term gift is knowing that there are people who are knitting because I've influenced them in some way and they will keep it going. Mm-hmm. And it's things like blanket knitting blankets for somebody. And then you know that they can always have that hug, mm. even even when even when I'm not here. I mean, there's not not foreseeing any problems there, but you you know you're just aware as you're getting older that you're you're not around forever. Yeah. And um, and the thought of leaving, and nobody's going to be interested in my stash when I'm gone. But <laughs> leaving people <laughs> blankets, leaving leaving people blankets and hugs, but also yeah. knowing that there's people out there knitting and passing those skills on. Yeah. And it sounds I like think. you get a lot of joy from the students and seeing their own interpretations mm-hmm. of yeah uh-huh. yeah and just and just watching because so many people think it's they still talk about knitting being 
an old person thing. And yeah. one, and one, one, you, you, when you interviewed, I've forgotten her name, but the 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 young girl that you that you interviewed. Oh, Ellen, yeah, yeah, aha, uh-huh. and she was talking about it. But I mean, just at the class the other the other night, one of our first years was in. She's a crochet, but she was showing me all these TikTokers who are showing off their knitting. Mm-hmm. And you're like, it's there. It's not going to go away. It's not dying out. It just keeps going, just yeah. in different formats with each generation. It's a little bit different and a little bit adapted to what's going on. Yeah. And I do hope that is changing a bit. You know, I did a I did a group in a primary school and I had an even balance of boys and girls also thinking about mm-hmm. gender yeah. and mm-hmm. who came along. And yeah. I think, you know, kids at that age just are a lot more just open to whatever we tell them well this mm-hmm. is happening and they go okay yeah, fine uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> but then uh-huh. when I did one in a secondary school it was all female um which and I don't know how much that was self-selecting whether how much they kind of promoted it to everybody and those were the people who were who wanted to come um yeah but and also they 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 were more aware of the idea that it was something for old people I think that um yeah. that, oh I wouldn't I might not tell my friends about it for example mm-hmm. um yeah so I would would really hope that is changing but certainly like you when I speak to young people about it I help I also have a conversation with the people who have no interest in knitting about mm-hmm. what else could you do that is similar mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and really relate to trying to I find that often you know I work with younger people who are teenagers who would be younger than your students but they um they often give up their hobbies at times of like exams and yeah you know and I'm kind of saying no this this is the time you need them the most (laughs) really Mm -hmm. (laughs) to you know still go to that netball match or whatever it is because you can't study all the time and it's really important to have some headspace and some different you know move your body a bit and to you know have some time when you're not focused on the studying that's as as important as the revision Mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah I think there's an element of I know I do it even when I talk about or tell other people that I'm a knitter if you're if other people aren't a knitter they don't get what that actually means that mm-hmm. you're you're a you're a technical textile artist you can turn a bit of yarn and with either one hook or two sticks into into a thing and it takes maths and it takes patience and it takes some dexterity and it takes understanding of a pattern and there's so many unspoken skills when somebody says oh and again especially the the older ladies that I I might talk to and they're like oh I just knit like no it's 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 Mm. much bigger than that and maybe um, that's a generational thing of having had to do it for yeah. the purpose of making yes. clothes. Uh-huh. And yes. I think, um, yeah, certainly some people I've spoken to who either have come away with the message of, you know, undervaluing it, I suppose, in terms mm-hmm. of its therapeutic yeah. benefits or it being like a hobby mm-hmm. or a joy, yeah. <laughs> that it had become very much a thing of necessity. And yeah, uh-huh. um, yeah not really thought about it in in the sense of what it might give to you over and above the end product yeah. it's it's, a, it's an immense skill because like even like you're saying well they did it and decided to make clothes you made clothes yeah <laughs> yeah I think I keep thinking 
you know, come the apocalypse, all the people in their tech are done, but we can make clothes. Yes, this is true. We just need to find the people who can spin and we'll be fine. <laughs> and I didn't actually ask you about your relationship to the finished objects, like when you wear them. So some of the things you make, yeah. you gift, but others of them you would wear. Like, does yeah. it feel any different on a day that you're wearing your one of, you know, your sweater that you're wearing today compared to if you're wearing something you bought from a shop? And most days I'll be wearing something I've made. Yeah. So the the days when I don't, I feel I feel not quite me mm. if I'm having to wear something that I've not made. Um, I even went through my last set of scrubs for work. I made them because it's like I can't do this. Oh wow! <laughs> I, bought, I, I bought the last set. I, I gave up. Um, yeah. So yes, I. And it's nice, yes, if somebody spots that, or you're with other knitters, and you can, you know. You can admire somebody else's knitting. It's one of the yeah. joys of a yarn show, isn't it? Just wandering around and, and you spot somebody clocking your network. And yeah. like, <laughs> you recognise somebody. You did, did that on Saturday. You recognise somebody else. I, I know not personally that well, but we clocked each other because we recognised our jumpers. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I feel good wearing something I've made. And it sounds like you feel more you. Yeah, I feel more me. Wearing hand-knitted socks at work is one of the ways of taking away from that business of we're all the same in our scrubs. Mm. Yeah, a little bit, a bit of, of, little bit of yourself, a little bit of rebellion in there. <laughs> oh, I love that, that your hand-knit socks are your rebellion, even though you're wearing scrubs. Yeah. 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 But it sounds like that feels quite important, going into that environment of like feeling a bit you and feeling a bit different. Yeah, uh huh, and it's it's the way I want to present, or it's the way I do. I can't look, I can't pretend to be who I'm not. There's, students are surrounded by so many people for whom a career was everything. Mm. They need somebody who's not that way. Mm-hmm. I tend, to, I'm a bit of a motherer, mm-hmm. um, so and I think the hand knit socks kind of. But they don't, they don't even see it. They don't know. <laughs> but no, but me, I guess it's, it's important. Yeah, it just yeah. Because I really relate to that, actually, that even Mm -hmm. if nobody else knows that they're there, it's my way of like, I do feel like it would give me a confidence boost if I was giving a presentation Mm -hmm. or something that (laughs) you wear hand-knit socks. (laughs) Once upon a time, it would have been choosing the nice high heels and now it's which hand-knit socks am I going to (laughs) wear? Yeah, (laughs) how times have changed. (laughs) Yeah, I'm all for it, though. (laughs) Well, Shona, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak Mm -hmm. to you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I don't know if there's anywhere that you're sharing your work, like on Instagram or anywhere like that. But... Yep. Um, yeah, my Instagram account is Shona Mason Makes. Um, that's it. So it's mostly about my makes. Um, there's a little bit about me, but mostly it's the makes. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Why I Knit podcast. If you'd like to find out more about my work, you can visit my website, which is therapeuticknitting.org. You can also support the podcast by donating monthly on Patreon. You can find out more by visiting patreon.com forward slash therapeutic knitting. You can also follow me on Instagram at knitting is therapeutic. I always love to get your suggestions for people to interview for the podcast. So if you or someone you know would make a great guest on the podcast, then please do get in touch and let me know. You can email me at mia at therapeuticknitting.org or you can get in touch with me by direct message on Instagram.